I think that we all have a sense that we live in a world in which things are not quite right. If we really think about it, deep down, deep in our heart, we know that there's something out of kilter, something that's not quite the way it's supposed to be. When we read in scripture, for example, the creation account in early Genesis, and we come to the end of that account and God looks over the earth that he's created, all the creatures that he's populated it with, and then humankind, of course, as the crown of creation, he says that it's very good. He's very pleased with the work that he's done. And yet I suspect that when we look around the world at our relationships with each other, at our relationships with God, at our relationships with the world itself, we have this deep down nagging sense that something just isn't the way it's supposed to be. And in fact, that's what we Christians believe to be the case. To put it in terms that we use all the time, we say that those relationships that I just described are in fact broken. Broken relationship with God, which leads then to broken relationships between us with each other, and in fact broken relationships with the created order in which we live. These things manifest themselves in lots of different ways each and every day. The thing is, God doesn't want it to continue that way. His plan is for those broken relationships to be restored, for the relationship with Him to be put back to rights, for the relationship with each other to be restored to the sort of loving relationships that He intended, and then the relationship with creation to be one in which we accept our role as stewards of the creation, tending to it, watching after it, caring for it. So what is it that we need to do? How do we go about getting from this place of broken relationship to restored relationships. Well, God engaged in a great uh, salvation exercise, in a great rescue mission, if you will, an effort to restore those relationships at all those different levels. And he did this when he sent Christ. We all know the passage, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ we see a model of what the life that pleases God looks like. And so we should pay attention to the Gospels that give us an account of how Jesus lived and the sorts of things that he did. His sacrifice on the cross, we say, pays a debt for that broken relationship, those broken relationships. It pays a debt for our sins and makes it possible for us to be restored. And then, of course, the resurrection of Christ is the thing that God does in raising Jesus. He vindicates the life of Jesus, vindicates the ministry of Jesus, and affirms for us the rightness of what he's accomplished. All of those things fit together in what we call the order of salvation or the way of salvation to describe what it is that God's doing and how he's working in our lives to put us back into right relationship with himself. Now different traditions within the Christian faith think about the order of salvation or the way of salvation in different ways. For example, in the Reformed tradition, the understanding is generally that God predetermines those who will be saved. He takes all of the action necessary to restore us. And of course the motivations for thinking in that particular way are efforts to make sure that we as humans don't become prideful about our own efforts and that we recognize our depravity, our brokenness, the completeness of that brokenness and our inability then to restore right relationship with God on our own. However, in the Wesleyan tradition, we th see things a little bit differently. We believe that what God wants are restored relationships with his creation, with his creatures, with his human creatures in particular. But he wants those restored relationships to be ones that we have chosen freely. 
And so he empowers us with free will to be able to make the choices that we wish to make. If we want to be in right relationship with God, we can be. If we don't want to be, then we won't be. It's pretty much as simple as that. Now, Wesley understood God being at action, in action, in our lives, at all kinds of different levels to make this possible. And when we talk about uh, how Wesley understood salvation, we can sometimes use the phrase the way of salvation. We sometimes use the phrase the order of salvation to describe the steps through which God leads us in restoring us to right relationship, first with himself, and then in restoring right relationships between us and God, that empowers the possibility of us restoring the relationships between those around us and ourselves. And then finally, of course, recognizing again our responsibilities for the world, we restore the broken relationship between ourselves and the created order in which we live. Wesley believed that God was active at every stage of that process of salvation, of our being moved from broken relationships to right relationships. He saw God active in using his grace at each level. We all know the common definition of grace, unmerited favor. So when God acts on our behalf, working on us, transforming us, making us into the people that he intends us to be, it is a free gift that he gives, and we describe that free gift as grace that acts and does things to us at different places in our lives. There are a number of different ways to think about the uh, way or order of salvation within the Wesleyan tradition. And over the course of the next few discussions, I want to hit for you four of those different ways in which grace functions in our lives to transform us, to move us from those broken relationships to right relationships. The first way in which Wesley understood grace interacting in our lives, he called prevenient grace. He called it prevenient grace because it comes really early in our lives. We'll talk about that in more detail uh, in another session. But again, prevenient grace, step one. The next one is convicting grace. We've probably all heard that phrase. In fact, in the tradition I grew up, the notion of conviction was a central one. When we use that term every day, in everyday language, we talk about someone being convicted of a crime, you know, in a, in a trial setting, for example. Uh, it means a little bit different uh, thing in the order of salvation, so we'll come to that and talk about that as well. And then there's justifying grace, the grace that God imparts to us to put us into right relationship with himself. It's the in, uh, restoration of that broken relationship. And then the one that Wesley paid a lot of attention to. In fact, in one place Wesley said, it is perhaps for this reason that God has raised up the people called Methodists. And it was to spread this particular doctrine. He called it the doctrine of entire sanctification, sanctifying grace is the fourth component of the grace that God uh, pours out upon us that we're going to talk about. Now the last one is a very, uh, uh, I'm just going to make a quick comment about it, eschatological grace or glorifying grace sometimes it's called, is that final act where God transforms us from human to immortal, where we are finally taken up into the life of God and made able to live with Him forever. So again, over the course of the next few sessions we're going to talk about Wesley's understanding of prevenient grace, convicting grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. <music>